0: Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your
1: home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is an emergency episode of the podcast, the Nick Castellanos edition. I said it correctly. Joining me today, once again, our buddy from Red Leg Nation and RedsMinerLeagues.com, Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug? It's a good day, Chad. It is a very good day. It is a very good day because uh, it was announced uh, earlier today that the Cincinnati Reds, that's the team that we talk about here on this podcast, have agreed to sign Nicholas Castellanos to a four-year contract worth of approximately $16 million per year. Doug, what are your initial thoughts about uh, the Reds signing outfielder Nicholas? I keep wanting to say Nick. It's Nicholas. We need to be clear. And I figured it out. Castellanos. I'm saying it correctly now. I, I'm yeah, yeah, thrilled. I,
0: I well, I'm thrilled for you as well that you learned how to pronounce <laughs> the Red's new outfielder's name. But I, as, as far as the the signing goes, I, I love that too. I I just think that he gives the Reds' biggest weakness, in my opinion, at least coming into the offseason, their offense, uh, a huge boost. I mean, the the guy can absolutely hit the ball. Um, you know, he led the National, or I guess he led the major leagues in doubles last year with 58. But he's not just a doubles hitter. He also hit. 27 home runs and had three triples. I mean, the guy just racks up extra base hits.
1: And, uh, yeah, no, no question about it. And, and what I like about it, first of all, two things. Number one, uh, the Cincinnati Reds are better today than they were yesterday. This is a good thing. We don't need to forget that. And and we, we've talked about where we project the Reds to be, and this, this moves the Reds a little more in the right direction. What I like about Castellanos is that, and he wasn't really at the top of my wish list ever this offseason, but he did make a lot of sense for a lot of reasons, especially after some other chips started f- falling. He's just going to be 28 next year. And so, you know, you, it's it's a youngish type guy who, uh, you know, uh, helps the offense. And really, we don't know what's what he's going to do. But I love the idea of him in Great American Ballpark because he's been playing in Comerica and, uh, or whatever, I assume that's what they still call it, I don't know, Detroit. And, uh I don't know, just moving to a stadium like uh, Great American Ballpark just gives me all the feels.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at his stats last trip, he got traded to the National League Central. Uh, They're a lot different than what he did while he was in the American League playing in the cavernous ballpark out there in Detroit. Uh, I I, I think that he's a guy who could just really take advantage of Great American Ballpark's really small gaps. Uh, The guy's got power to all fields and, well, We've seen what, you know, power hitters can do in, in Cincinnati. So I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled about that.
1: Yeah, no, the guy the guy can hit, and uh, he, he helps the team. Now, the first thing that you see from uh, some people, and I've gotten texts and tweets about it all morning long, is uh, how many outfielders do the Reds need? Well, all of them. They need all of them, Chad. <laughs> they do. And, uh, you know, uh, my, my point is, and we'll talk more about potential trade scenarios in a moment, but my point is if, if the team we have right now is the team that's that they're going to have an opening day, you've got four legitimate big league outfielders. and At least. At least, at least, right, yeah, yeah, maybe more depending on uh, what Aquino is. But uh, certainly you're assured of four when they're healthy. And to me, I, I, I don't know why you can't get each of them 500-plus at-bats and all of a sudden you mix and match depending on who's on the, uh, the mound every day and the outfield is a big-time strength for this team all of a sudden. I don't know why everyone thinks you'd have to have just three outfielders as if no one gets hurt or as if uh, there are not a lot of at-bats available. Are you, are you seeing, hearing and seeing the same things?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, i I looked up the amount of at-bats that the Reds outfielders got last year, and it was just over 2,000. there were another 300-something plate appearances handed out as pinch-hitting opportunities uh, and like 50 more for DHs. I mean, if you've got the four guys that we're talking about as your outfielders, just because you usually have three doesn't mean that you can't find a way to get all four of them. You know, as you said, 500 at bats each. It's there assuming that they're all healthy easily. They can make that happen.
1: Yeah. That's, and that, frankly, that's a big assumption that they're all going to be healthy. Two of the guys in this, and uh, the four headed rotation we're talking about now are uh, Jesse Winker, Nick Senzel, Shogo Akiyama and, uh, Nicholas Castellanos, uh, Winker and Senzel have some history anyway, uh, and I don't know that you can project this into the future, but some history of injuries. They've missed a substantial time. And uh, and Akiyama, really, we don't quite know what we're getting. So I think having all four there at your disposal, with this uh, other piece of Akino, who just may be something great as well, we don't really quite know either, and may force his way into that conversation, Uh, it's, you know... If everybody does well and everybody's healthy, wow what a great problem to have. Too many, uh too many good players. Um chances are they're not going to all be healthy at the same time or or uh you know, it'll be easier to pick who who to play on a daily basis. But I just I don't I don't know why it's a problem that the Reds have a lot of outfielders now, especially when you consider that some of them have some real flexibility with respect to Senzel being able to play infield as well.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm I'm never against having too many good options. It's it's when you don't have enough good options it's the real problem. Um, having, I mean, you, you just mentioned Sinzel can play on the infield. I mean, he can, I, I don't really know where you would put him given that, you know, the two positions he really plays are locked up with Mustakas and Suarez, who you're probably not going to sit very often, but I, I guess on that, you know, every three weeks when maybe they need an off day, you could slide him in there and get, you know, some, some outfield, uh, at bats for somebody else who's kind of been, I guess on the outside looking in, so to speak. But again, too many good players. Not a
1: problem. Let me uh, uh, read a report from our old buddy Jim Bowden. You remember Jim Bowden? I do remember Jim Bowden. I was in an elevator with him once. What kind of pants was he wearing? Uh, They were jeans. (sighs) Not leather pants? Thank God they were not leather pants. Oh, man. You might not have escaped that elevator with your life.
0: I I wouldn't have. I was on crutches. It would have been tough to get away real quick (laughs) on that one.
1: Uh, Jim Bowden put uh, Doug on crutches, and he also reports that... (laughs) Um, again, this is on Twitter, and Jim Bowden is Jim Bowden. Who knows what he knows? But he says the Reds' front office has given him this tentative plan. So let's let's sort of uh, tease this out a little bit and, and see what you think. Castellanos in left field and right field and some first base. So that's interesting that Castellanos could back up, uh, Joey Votto some. We know that Joey Votto is going to take more days off. Winker mostly left field and right field. Um, I would suggest a winker would be a good candidate to start learning first base as well, as we discussed. Uh, Senzel in center field and possibly some infield. Akiyama in all three, but in all caps, he puts mostly in center field. Irvin is cornerback up. Aquino mostly in right field because a plus arm also has an option if needed. So let's break those down. Castellanos left field, right field, and some first base. I don't know if he can play any of those positions very well, but has he played much left field? Let's find out here. He
0: has not, but I—I mean, realistically, I don't think there's a big difference between left field and right field other than
1: the ball tails the other way. He does have 20 games in left field in his Major League career. Yeah, I mean, he's got some experience, just not a lot. 527 games at third base, too. Red's got a lot of third basemen.
0: I mean... Between the, him. Are and, they going
1: to get all of the outfielder slash third baseman? Is is that the plan? Well, Sinzel was one and Castellanos is one and Moustakas is a second baseman. Ter-
0: well, I mean, jo- Josh Van Meter plays outfield and third base. Oh, man. They've got three of them now.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, New market
0: so, inefficiency right there.
1: There you go. Uh, I like the idea of uh, Castellanos and, and Winker as well, although Bowden doesn't mention it. But I really like the idea... Of spelling Joey Votto, they're going to have to spell Joey Votto. I think there'll be some real at bats t- that you can take from the first base position as well, and uh, so I like that they're open to being creative there. Now, the question that I, really what is on a lot of people's minds today, other than welcome Nicholas Cas- Castellanos, um, Bowden says Sinzel in center field and possibly some infield. Again, I'm, I'm like you, he he has the flexibility. He you know he was a minor league. Uh, Best defensive third baseman, best defensive in the International League. He was best defensive second baseman in the International League. I think best defensive third baseman in the Florida State League, he was named. So, I mean, he can play in the infield. Um, but the Reds have pretty good players at second and third right now. And then they say Akiyama mostly in center field. And I, maybe I'm reading the tea leaves here, and, and maybe I shouldn't. But it sounds like Senzel's getting squeezed a little bit here. What do you think? I, the way that the
0: tweet reads to me is that somebody between Senzel and Akiyama is basically going to be a, a backup.
1: Yeah, fourth outfielder. I mean, I,
0: I don't I don't know which one it is based on this tweet, but it seems like one of them is going to be a guy who's like you know, maybe getting 30 or 40 starts on the season and then pitch hitting opportunities or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, again, we're, we're parsing a Jim Bowden tweet. But uh, and, he, and he did go on to say the Reds have competition at all three outfield spots, lots of flexibility, no final decisions have been made. They need to let it play out. In today's game, the days of three primary outfielders are long gone. And 26-man roster is also given more depth to work from. So, I don't know. The, the question is, what are the chances Nick Senzel gets traded before opening day?
0: That's, that's an interesting question. Uh, John Heyman uh, actually put it out there, I don't know, an hour after the Castellanos deal was announced that apparently – He's hearing that the Reds are shopping Nick Senzel. So, I mean, it. In my opinion, I've gotten the feeling that the Reds had Nick Senzel kind of locked in as their starting center fielder. Well, maybe maybe that's not true, or maybe, you know, Senzel is technically on the market in the sense that, yeah, if you give us your superstar shortstop, for example, then Sinzel's on the market. I, I I don't really know what to take from. Any of these tweets at this point, because it it just seems like a lot of them are going against kind of what has been suggested by the front office.
1: Yeah, uh, although again we're we're reading tea leaves and and trying to divine intentions from some things that we don't know. And I, I you know even before the Heyman tweet, I had had some I don't know indication that since that was at least available. But of course, who's not available, really? You know. Since Cenzel's probably their most valuable trade chip at this point, wouldn't you think? If you had to put together the. the- uh, I mean, uh, of people that I believe that could possibly be available, sure.
0: I uh, think that it, it, in, in realistic terms, Suarez, Castillo, maybe Gray would be more valuable, but I don't think the Reds have any intentions of trading any of those guys, no matter what's being offered. I just don't think that it's a, a realistic scenario where someone would be willing to offer what it would take to get those guys.
1: Castillo, I agree with. I might argue with you on Gray or Suarez, but still, we're talking about uh, some of the most valuable assets the Reds have, and Senzel's right up there with them. And here's my fear: Okay, if they I've said many, many times here on the podcast that no one should be untouchable, and because I like Nick Senzel personally, it does not mean that uh, you know um, I'm against trading him in, in the right scenario. My opinion is, we have Nick Senzel here, who has been. Exceptional at every level he's ever played at, has really no weaknesses in his game, um, and have him really cheap for the next uh, few years uh, through, you know, 2025 or whatever they did when they screwed with his uh, time, his service time. So, if you're going to trade Nick Senzel, who's got a really good chance at being a really good player and a really cheap player for a few more years ahead of you, you better get something good in return. I'm talking like a, a really a, a top-shelf shortstop or something. You know, I mean, I, I, you can't just give him away for, you know, something that just helps you next year, in my opinion, unless that – well, I don't know. No, no, you can't give him away for just somebody that's going to help for one year. I'm all for win now, but that uh, helps you win now, and he's going to help you win later. So what do you think, Doug?
0: Yeah, I, I, I feel like in one of the past podcasts this offseason we talked about whether or not we'd trade Senzel in a package to get Francisco Lindor. Uh, and I, I can definitely understand where that would make sense for the Reds front office. I know some fans would absolutely be on board for that. I'm still not sure that I would be willing to pull that trigger, but I, I wouldn't be against it necessarily either because I think that if you put Lindor on this team, even if you subtract Senzel away, uh, that's, that puts the Reds in a very, very... Favorable position to make the playoffs and do some real damage, um, but you're right. I you need to get somebody that's of that caliber if you're going to be moving Nick Senzel. I, I just don't see any other way around it.
1: Yeah, I could. You know, I could see it in a, in a trade for Lindor, and uh, it'd be tough to pull the trigger. But these should it should be difficult to pull the trigger on uh, a trade like that. But you do have to give up something to get something. So I'm again, I'm not against. I'm not against trading. Senzel, you know, in theory, um, I just, first of all, I don't know that all indications of that Lindor's not actually available right now. And so uh, I don't know who you're going to get for him. It has to be a Lindor type, I would think, to, to trade a guy that has so much value over the next few years. I, I mean, the, the the only other guy I can think of is Corey
0: Seeger, who's kind of been floated out there a little bit because the Dodgers also have Gavin Lux, um, you know, one of the top prospects in baseball who reached the majors last year after just humiliating triple a level um i mean he's i don't think he's quite as good as lindor but he's really close yeah uh, and for whatever reason it seems that the reds and dodgers can make a trade happen every single day of the week
1: uh right yeah definitely um so i don't know you know uh, in one of those trades yeah i could see it happening but here's what worries me about a senzel trade um this contract with uh, Nicholas Castellanos, $16 million a year, four years, but he can opt out of the contract after both. If the reports are correct, and I don't know for sure that the reports are accurate, I don't think there's any ink dried on any contracts yet, but if the reports are correct, Castellanos can opt out of the contract after both the first year and the second year. So I just see this nightmare scenario where the Reds trade Senzel for whoever, and then. After next season, they don't have Senzel or Castellanos, and uh, they're out two outfielders at that point. And to me, that's kind of the nightmare scenario. I mean, if Castellanos is good this year, he very well may opt out and try to, you know, make more money on the free agent market next year. Now, there are a lot of outfielders going to be on the free agent market next year, but still, um, he could be a free agent after each of the next two years if he wants to. And if he doesn't feel like he, he's done well enough to earn anything more than he's getting, he'll stick around. Is am I just making up something to be uh, to be nervous about, or is that a realistic scenario?
0: I mean, I am not worried about that scenario. I can understand where someone else would be. From where I'm standing, if the Reds are trading since they're getting back a stud who isn't going to be around for just one year. So Castiano's deciding to leave after having a huge season, which is what he'd have to have in order to think that he's going to do better than uh, three years and forty eight million dollars remaining on the Reds contract after next year. Uh, that's that, that leaves the Reds with a stud that they got for Sinzel and, I don't know, somewhere around $75 million in free agent money, uh, assuming that they lose Freddie Galvis and Trevor Bauer and Nick Castellanos, or Nicholas Castellanos. My bad. I, I, I messed up his name. We're still all getting used to him changing from Nick to Nicholas. <laughs> and he's a Red now, so we better learn it. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you're probably right, and I'm probably uh, being a little bit too pessimistic about that. I just I see that scenario of where we've lost this long-term asset in Senzel. Not lost him. Uh, that's the wrong way to put it because you're right. If they trade him, presumably they're trading him for someone that's going to be here for more than one year, even if even if it's just two years. But uh, which you know, if it's a superstar-level player, I probably do that. If that's that's the trade we're looking at, I just see that uh, the nightmare scenario of trading him and then. So now we don't have, uh, we have somebody playing center field that there's some questions about whether he can handle it defensively. Akiyama, and where I like him, and I think he's going to be good, but we don't really know yet that he's going to be good in America. And then no uh, right fielder either in uh, with Castellanos. Uh, so we're right back where we started with basically Winker, A- Akiyama, Winker, Irvin, Akiyama, and Aquino, which I guess, uh, but you've also got the money, as uh, Steve Matthews pointed out to me on Twitter as well. There's no, because I, I didn't say it, but it's true. You have money to go get somebody else at that point as well, the Castellanos money. I I don't know. I'm just – I like the fact that Senzel's going to be good and that he's going to be here for a while, and that's one less thing to worry about. So that's why I'm making myself worry about it. Well, yep. You're entitled to your opinion, Chad. I am, as a matter of fact. Um, that's your right as an American, right? It is. Now a uh, couple, couple of things and we'll uh we'll wrap this one up. This is just an emergency edition of the podcast just to talk about the free agent signing of Nick Castellanos. But Nicholas Castellanos. Nick I did it again. Nicholas oh, Castellanos. We are, we are we are the worst, Chad. <laughs> the absolute worst. Nicholas Castellanos. Um now, I, I do think it's creative, and I wonder if the Reds structured the contract this way. We know that the Reds have tried to get some, some targets in free agency, and they've gotten some, but that that's how I want to end up by talking about what we've seen all offseason. But um, they structured this contract, giving him an opt-out after, and I've never seen an opt-out after the first two years of a deal. And, you know, I wonder if that's just a, uh, we got to sweeten the pot a little bit to get somebody to come to Cincinnati and here, you know, uh, give him uh, a little something, uh, you know, that if he does really well, he can try it again if he wants on the free agent market. Uh, do you see that as just kind of creative management and, and something that the front office Nick Crawl Nicholas Crawl and uh, Dick Nicholas wait and that doesn't sound good no, Williams. <laughs> Yeesh, um, you know, is that does that come across to you as them being creative to try to get this thing done?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's what it comes down to. Um, you know, for for Castianos, it basically ensures him that you know if he does get injured this year and then he doesn't want to opt out because it doesn't make sense then that if he has a big year in 2021 he can still opt out still in his 20s and try and get that free agent money if he has a big year um, for the Reds it puts them in a situation where if nothing else they believe they're getting a stud for 2020 and you know if it works out the way that is the least ideal for them in terms of you know, how things go, assuming that Castellano stays healthy. He opts out after one year. You get a huge year in 2020 because that's the only way he's going to opt out. And you offer him a qualifying offer and you get a draft pick. Right. I mean, that that, and that that's that's the bad case scenario is that the free agent you sign for one year has a huge season and you get a draft pick out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, there are no bad options here. I, yeah, I,
0: I think that it was very creative for the Reds. And while it may not play out in the best of terms for the Reds, it, it's really tough to see the downside for them
1: here. Yeah, yeah, the downside is he's hurt all year or something like that, and we're stuck with him, or that he's bad for four years. And I just don't see that being the case. He's not been injured his whole career, and uh, or no, not much. And uh, I don't know. I just I think that it's really creative, and I think that I would obviously I'd prefer to have him signed to you know four years with a team option for a fifth or something like that, just straight out at age uh, you know going to be twenty eight this year. But I, I like I like the outside the box way of structuring this contract, and I think that it is. Um, Another More evidence, I guess, of what we're seeing from a different, really different front office than we've ever seen in Cincinnati. Can we talk here before we finish up about the what the Reds have done this offseason to this point? And then let's talk about our projections for the year, if this is the roster. So first of all, if you'd have told me before the season that they're going to go out and sign Mike Moustakis, Shogo Akiyama, Nicholas Castellanos, and Wade Miley to free agent contracts, I don't... None of those are superstar studs, uh, necessarily. But they're, uh, you know, pretty good players uh, in, at ver- in varying degrees. And I don't know that I would have believed the Reds would go out and sign all four of those guys to free agent deals. So this is just like a historic offseason for this, uh, this Cincinnati Reds franchise, isn't it?
0: Well, it, it really is. I, I, I think I tweeted out earlier, maybe I wrote it at Red Lake Nation. I'm not sure. I'm all over the place. But <laughs> nonetheless, coming into this offseason... The Reds' largest positional player contract was like $17 million to Ryan Ludwick. Uh, they've signed three guys this offseason that put that deal way behind them. Two of the guys have signed for $64 million. Now, again, it, it may not work out to be that way in the end for Castellanos because he's got the opt-outs. But, I mean, they they have done things this offseason that they've never done before, and they've done it multiple times. It, it's a very different kind of uh, operation they seem to be running right now.
1: Yeah, and three of those four are hitters uh, that uh, presumably will improve the offense, which is the weak spot in this uh, lineup. You know, before the uh, winter, all the, the wheeling and dealing began, most people would have said the places the Reds need to improve are shortstop and catcher. I think here on the podcast we phrase it as middle infield as and catcher. Uh, they did improve the middle infield in getting a, a second baseman, but they did not improve shortstop, and they still have to get a backup shortstop at some point. Uh, and they did not improve at catcher, but still, somehow, they've creatively uh, improved this offense, op- uh, m- maybe substantially. Or at least, that's my that's what I think. What, what's your opinion? Uh, I I think the offense is
0: dramatically improved. It's I mean, I, even if it's in the sense that you know they've just got more options to kind of mix and match with some guys in the outfield. I, I think that because of the way the outfield is set up right now, you're at least going to have two righties and two lefties who rake against their opposite-handed pitching. And some of those guys are pretty okay against the same-handed pitching. It just gives them a lot of different options. Um, It it may not be the most traditional lineup every day where you've got the same eight guys, but I, I think that it's a pretty good lineup top to bottom because of the options they do have to mix and match. And, I mean, again, too many good options is not a problem. And it may take some creativity on David Bell's behalf, but I think they can get it done. And, I mean, I I really do think that they've gone out and, like they attempted to get the offense, they got the
1: offense. I think you're right. I think you're right. You know, at the end of the season last year, we're kind of projecting out what's going to happen next year. Uh, As things stood, you had uh, Phil Irvin getting 65, potentially 65, 70 starts. Uh, alongside Winker in left field, you had Aquino getting the bulk of the starts in in right field, and and maybe Josh Van Meter as your second baseman, perhaps. Uh, you know, we discussed that some. And now all three of those guys are really going to be kind of fighting to be on the big league roster if things stay as they are. That's because the talent level has risen, and so uh, it's nothing but good, nothing but good for the Reds as far as I'm concerned. They are better now than they were at the beginning of the off season. They have, as of yet, really given up nothing other than money. So. They have all their assets still if they want to make a move, and that includes Senzel, I agree, but also any of their minor league assets. Have no, none of those have been touched, so they've got some flexibility still to make a move to improve at shortstop or catcher. I'm not sure they're going to be able to improve at catcher, and I'm not sure about shortstop either because it's just difficult to see um, the way they make that work, but then again, they may, and uh, if there ever was a time for us to be optimistic about the Reds in the last five years, we're at sort of the, the high-water mark, Right. I think so, yes. (laughs) Oh, man, we're optimistic about the Reds. I mean, I don't even really know what that – I forgot what that feels like. It it has been a while. Okay, so now the projections, you know, I think Vegas had the Reds at 82.5 wins was the over-under number. This was a, a week or so ago. Now we have Castellanos in the fold. Where do you put the Reds? What's your prediction right now? If if the roster's as it is now, and it's not going to be as it is now, because they're going to get a reliever or two. They're going to do some other things. They got to get a backup shortstop. But let's say this is our opening day roster. What is your projection for the Reds? Safe bet, I'll take eighty-eight. I was gonna say eighty seven, and uh when you get there, you're I mean you're you're basically in the mix to be a playoff team. I mean, I think this might be a playoff team as it is now. Uh, I I mean I, I I don't know if it's a wild card team, uh, but in this division I
0: think they're I think they're the favorites in in the Central. Yeah. I really do. Now I mean I say that like, you know, I I believe the Cubs and the Cardinals are also in that eighty six to eighty eight win range too. So it's not like they're clear heavy favorites. But I mean looking up and down all of the rosters, I, I think the Reds are just a little bit better.
1: I think they'll project as the favorite by most outlets. I would think in the Central as things go now. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy with where this team. Is. Do I wish they had a, a better shortstop? Oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, I, I think I'm I'm ready to roll with the team they have now, with the with the proviso that if they make a big deal, I'm certainly not against that. If as long as they're uh, smart about it, and you know, you have to believe this front office is going to be smart about it because they've been since uh, the Dick Williams, Nick Crawl regime kind of took full control and convinced Bob Castellini to, uh, um. To let them run things, you gotta concede that they've not made a lot of wrong moves. At least uh, in my mind,
0: I'm with you. I don't think that everybody listening is going to agree with you on that. Um, I, I still continuously hear about the Dodgers trade last offseason, but uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I even though I will concede that that trade didn't work out. I think the thought process behind it was smart and it made sense at the time.
1: Oh yeah, no, I, I, it didn't. Maybe it didn't work out in the, in the end, but. Uh, at the time, they couldn't get the free agents, and they couldn't uh, trade for anybody else long-term. They couldn't improve, so they had to do what they could to improve for uh, 2019. And with all the money going off the books, it obviously gave them the flexibility to do what they were doing this offseason. So in that sense, it did work. Um, that It left them with some flexibility to really move forward. So, um, Now, other question. Do you expect us to be recording another emergency podcast because there's been a blockbuster trade before spring training?
0: Let's go with yes.
1: I'm going to say it's 50-50, and I may lean towards the yes side of the equation. Um, I I think there's something that's going to happen. Um, I don't think it has to happen, and a lot of people have mentioned that to me. There's got to be a trade now, right, all these outfielders? I don't think that's the case, as you and I have discussed. But I just kind of get the feeling that something's going to happen. Yeah, I I, I'm, I'm with you. I just feel that there's – and even if it's just
0: from today – it just feels like there's a little little bit too much smoke going on for there not to be some fire somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. So uh, maybe we'll be back with, uh, who knows, maybe this week with another emergency edition of the podcast. Doug, thanks for joining me on such short notice here. We'll get this up and posted. And uh, uh, you got any final thoughts about Nicholas Castellanos?
0: I'm thrilled. That's all I got.
1: I'm thrilled as well. Good signing for the Reds. Kudos uh, to the front office team. All right, you know where to find us, all that. This has been an emergency edition of the podcast for Doug Gray and Nick Castellanos. This is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.